Hi, Matthew. Uh, Simon Wensley, and I'm the CEO and Managing Director of Metro Mining. Metro Mining is the only pure play bauxite producer on the ASX, and uh, we are in the middle of a growth phase uh, in the midst of a, a very strongly growing market as decarbonization drives the demand for aluminium in our market. So uh, good to meet you. First time we've met or spoken, uh, so I appreciate coming on the on the platform telling us the story. Um, can you give us a bit of background on, on you? Who are you? What have you done that's relevant to what you're trying to do now? Yeah, sure. So look, I've spent pretty much my whole life and uh, career in um, mining and metals. I've spent uh, 25 years uh, in the mining industry and 20 of those with Rio Tinto. The, I spent pretty much all of that time in bulk commodities, so iron ore, uh, coal, industrial minerals, and uh, bauxite and alumina, which is obviously obviously relevant. Um, I joined Metro Mining in the middle of 2021, and the reason I came on board was to try and turn around the business to uh, build, scale, and de-risk, and eventually to execute the expand and expansion, which is where we at uh, where we're at right now. Right. Okay. And I would love to come on to that in, in, in a second. But I think uh, if I asked half our audience what bauxite is, they wouldn't actually understand. So, can you give us a kind of potted history of um, what bauxite is, what it's used for, and why it's important in the market at the moment? Sure. Bauxite is the only way that you can make primary aluminium. So uh, bauxite is a mineral. It uh, has a, a content of alumina or you know, aluminium oxide uh, that is refined to make a white powder, which is pure alumina, and that is smelted to make aluminium metal. So, um, and of course, aluminium, uh, it's it's not often referenced uh, because of the more trendy, I suppose, critical minerals, if you like, but aluminium is the most critical metal in the decarbonization story. Uh, it is a lightweighting of transportation, so everything from cars through to trains and airplanes. Um, it is the second most important um, uh, met, uh, uh, metal in the uh, EV batteries. It is uh, substituting for copper in poles and wires, and if you've got solar panels, on your roof, you know they're all backed by aluminium. So, um, this the, the growth in aluminium over and above its traditional um, use in construction, in, in food packaging, etc., is going through a, a very strong growth from that decarbonization story. And so, bauxite uh, is therefore growing along with it. Okay, so those are the use cases, and you say, but maybe it hasn't kind of got the the coverage or understanding of some of the the better known the, the nickels, the coppers, the graphites, etc. But what's what's priced in? What's, what's the global market for this at the moment look like? Yeah, look, it's about um, about 80, 90 million tons of, of aluminium produced per year. Um, about half of that is is produced in China. Um, the copper and steel relatively relativity is critical, so it's priced at about a quarter of the price of copper, and so you can see at uh, it's got almost the same conductivity as copper, but is now being, you know, effectively substituted into motors and into poles and wires. And in the case of steel, it's got, uh, you know, a similar strength to steel, but much lighter weight. So it's about one third of the of the density. So from that perspective, you can see why aluminium is is important uh, in those in those industries. Bauxite, um, for those of us old enough. Uh, to remember, bauxite's actually going through a very similar, uh, albeit on a smaller scale, similar 
dynamic to what happened in iron ore back in the early 2000s. So you're seeing top line growth and demand from the metal uh, that occurred with steel in iron ore, but we're also seeing a reduction in supply. So in particular, where that growth has been occurring and is likely to still occur over the next five or so years in China, for example, we're seeing traditional sources of bauxite falling away. So from a you know, a, a quality from a, a, a cost or a safety environmental perspective, and that's being replaced by a global traded, a global traded market in, in bauxite. So not only are we seeing top line growth, but we're seeing a supply constraint that's to, that's driving 8% growth per annum, at least over the next 10 years, according to uh, the uh, sort of um, well-placed consultants in the area. So by any measure, eight percent growth in bauxite uh, traded bauxite market is uh, significant. And you said like so, China is obviously fifty percent of the of the production. In, in terms of um, the consumption component, where where does that go? I mean, where do, where do you what are the markets that you actually sell into? I get the growth market, but in a lot of the other commodities at the moment, certainly around the sort of um, critical minerals, there seems to be a lot of chatter around sort of bifurcated markets. As you know, China is trying to you know capture the market, as it were. I think that that's a long that that is going to happen over the next five to ten years. The reality, Matthew, in the next sort of two to three years, China is is the major the major market. That 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 demand and supply wedge has been created. You know that's that 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 you can, if you stop and listen, there's a huge sucking huge sucking sound as as bauxite is effectively being sucked into that refinery sector. Like most things, they you know China is looking for an integrated an integrated value chain in most of these metals, but its raw material supply in bauxite is dwindling. And that's been predicted for the last, you know, 15, 10, 15 years. But in reality, it's actually now it's actually now happening. So we're seeing, you know, we saw record imports into China, about 125 million tons in 2022. But we're also we're now already seeing probably a 15% growth. So in 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 rough terms, that's about 18 to 20 million tons of additional bauxite. So, you know, as scale, our, our targeted scale for next year is six to seven million tons. That's sort of three times the size of Metro's sort of ex, uh, uh, capacity being demanded in addition to what's already going going in. In the longer term, you know, certainly India uh, is, is going to grow in this space, uh, Southeast Asia and indeed, you know, Ind- Indonesia, for example. But you know, in the next two to three years, that's where the, the action is. That will probably slow, and then we're going to see probably India and these other markets sort of take off with a, you know, with a similar sort of domestic plus important uh, type structure in their market. Right. So you're not seeing any sort of slowing because obviously news out of China was was, was suggests. Well, I, I think the, the the headlines would suggest that there was a bit of a slowing in the Chinese market. I think the Chinese data suggests that you know growing growing at four point six percent. So. Mixed messaging out there. How, how do you read this situation? Yeah, look, I think that's that affects that traditional construction uh, segment. But as I said earlier, if you do go to China, I was there a couple of months ago. What you're seeing is uh, EVs now in the big cities dom- dominate that landscape. So they're clearly ramping up, using domestic demand first as a as a as a sort of a baseline, and then exporting those. So you know, in, I don't know what you're seeing where you live, but you know, increasing amounts of Chinese EVs on the market. And that requires obviously not just the vehicle, but the battery and all the rest of it. So, you know, and as I said, you're now seeing three, 400 grams of 
of uh, kilograms of um, of aluminium in in in, ve- in these sorts of vehicles. Plus, as I said, uh, uh, after graphite, aluminium is the next most important material in an EV. So, uh, in in a bat- in an EV battery. So, this is, and then you, you know, windmills being put up everywhere, uh, solar panels. You know, exportation of solar panels plus the domestic demand. So, so this is what's sustaining that that growth for aluminium demand, and you're seeing. Um, you're seeing that that's to continue to grow irrespective of, of that sort of slightly wobbly, you know, GDP and, and the export markets coming after it. So if if I had, you know, double my capacity of bauxite now, I, I would be selling it. So there's certainly no lack of demand from the customers that we that we supply to and, and, and a lot more queuing up. Yeah, I see. I think, I think um, me and a car show saw twice as many um, Chinese car manufacturers attend and um, actually capture five percent of the um, the European domestic market. So yeah, th- th- things looking good for uh, for coming out of China anyway. In, in terms of the, fact, let's go to contracting in, in a second. Let's just, let's just talk about you came on board to improve some efficiencies because I think the the criticism that'll be thrown at you is the fact that this thing isn't making money yet. So um, what? Precisely, are you doing to kind of change the for- the financial fortunes of this company? Like any bulk commodity business, scale is crucial. And so, when I came in to the company, uh, sales were roughly two million tons per annum. Uh, and indeed, the, the company had been in care and maintenance in in twenty twenty during during COVID. So, critically, we had to get the sales book up. And you know, I spent a lot of my time. At Rio Tinto in the sort of sales, marketing, logistics areas of uh, of the bulk commodity businesses that that I worked in, so that was a that was a crucial aspect and a, and a key focus. And we were able to get additional contracts very quickly. Uh, start to see, so we saw 2.8 million tons of sales in uh, in 2021, and then uh, 3.5 million tons last year. So we quickly had to build up that scale. But secondly, we had to address the cost base and and look, mining in a, in the mining business things don't generally go in straight lines. So so you you know there are there are aspects of 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 the turnaround that you know went uh, you know were maybe not quite according to plan. But I'd say look, if I look back, eighty to ninety percent of it was was what we want what what we had planned to do. The most important part was being able to get into larger capes cape sized vessels. So. Traditionally, Metro had been selling in small 60,000 ton geared vessels. Uh, that freight market went ballistic, you know, as COVID ended and uh, the market sort of started to take off again. So we had to get into larger vessels. And so we were able to procure with our transshipping partners what's called a floating crane that enabled us to, to uh, load 180,000 ton Cape vessels. So that almost immediately halved our, our freight costs. But more importantly, the Cape size freight market is the most liquid freight market in the world. So we were able to actually then forward contract. So looking at three years from, from that point, forward contract into um, a freight, uh, the freight market by, by contracting 70 to 80% at the time uh, of our forward, our forward contracts. And that allowed us to hedge effectively the freight cost into a time charter rate that was very competitive, and also uh, lock in our fuel uh, our fuel rates. So both of those things are now done, and so that those contracts have another 
depending on the contract, one to two more years to run off after the end of this year. So again, de-risking, taking out that volatility in the business into a into a cost that, that can be competitive. So that scale economy then had to flow back through the mining process. Uh, we've got a very simple flow sheet. If you're looking at a bulk commodity, what do you want? You've got high grade, minimal processing, close to the close to the coast, um, and that's exactly what that's exactly what we've got. So we're able to lever leverage that foundation. The strip ratio is is close to zero, so you're not we're not we're not moving a lot of waste that we don't have to move. So then it was all about getting. That logist, you know, that that mining and and processing and logistics efficiency up. So we did. We we um, changed out our, our haulage fleet. Got some additional trailers. Uh, we've uh, upgraded our our our, um, our screening process and our barge loading process uh, to increase the increase the, the instantaneous throughputs through that. And that's all allowed us now to go to to 2023. Where we're loading at uh, five million ton, we're targeting five million tons of sales, but that's sort of a uh, a game of of three thirds, if you like. Um, Four million ton rate in quarter two, uh, five million ton rate in quarter three, and then the six million ton rate in quarter four. And six million ton rate is the bottom end of our of our sales target for next year, and indeed, it's the the rate that we um, published in our DF in our expansion DFS so we've been slowly and steadily bringing on these expansion elements uh, working on that uh, productivity to be able to bring this on in, in a steady it wasn't a sort of a big bang approach it's been about steadily building that we still have elements to deliver over the coming uh, next quarter and into uh, quarter quarter one or quarter two next year but we've already we already now achieving the run rate that we uh, was that was part of our DFS, and so I think you know this last month gone, we've achieved uh, it's a record month, and we've achieved that six million ton rate. Uh, so we're already at, for example, we've already shipped three and a half million tons this year, which is uh, what we shipped uh, for the whole of last year, and we've still got a couple of months left in the uh, in the year. Right. Okay. So, so you, okay, you're going through the process of efficiencies, right? So the the, the cape size vehicles, the Reduction of locking in your fuel costs, etc., um, and, and and everything that you've just described in terms of like go, going through and looking at your your the cost side of the the equation. Um, obviously, price in the market is doing you a favor as well. It, it, yeah. it, it's up. I think what, okay. I think you indicated was it sort of how, how much did you say it was up? Fifteen oh, percent well, domestic pricing, offsite and pricing is 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 up about uh, 25 percent over the last over the last year right. or so. So. It's it's you know we've used we used a very conservative price in the in the in the DFS we're already you know significantly above above that uh, of course there's a bit of inflation that that's going on in the market right. and to everybody at the moment but but our pricing is more than covering more than covering that so right well that's that's where I want to get to the, the Simon because it, it, it's it's all about margin right you got to you got to make yeah. money there's not a case of you know revenue and turnover this is about you got you got to make a margin yeah. because sure. That's the name of the game for any company in the world. So, um, can you give me a sense of what that looks like in terms of all this cost cutting exercise? The the yep. price is doing the heavy lifting for you, and you're shifting more more of this. So, however you want to quantify, can you give me a sense of where it was and where it's down to now? Yeah, so sure, so sure, sure. So, we we if you look at the quarterly announcements over the last couple of quarters, you can see 
um, you know, a, a tur- the turnaround from from last year into a EBITDA positive, um, EBITDA positive uh, environment at our, at our site level. Um, so, you know, we we're now at roughly ten ten dollars a ton margin at that at that level, and so that's on our way to the DFS projected roughly uh, fourteen dollars a ton on a on a sort of a, a long run basis. I expect that we can achieve that in this quarter. So we'll be able to sort of effectively, we'll be making money on operations in uh, in this quarter um, mm-hmm. as we have over the last the last two two quarters. We've obviously got a capital capital to spend. That's where the Navari sort of debt facility came in. We've got cash in hand and we've got, you know, capex to spend, uh, remaining capex to spend over the next two months to complete to complete the expansion. But we have that, we have that cash. And we also are making money from operations. So, so look in terms of margin, you know, I'd say look we're projecting that you know medium term margin at about fourteen dollars a ton. That's roughly a fifty percent margin on an FOB, you know, post royalty basis, right? So, again, you know that that's a that's where we need to be, roughly at that fifty percent, the fifty percent margin, you know, at that six million ton rate. Where as I said, we're already there. I expect given the prices of where we've been, plus, you know, offsetting inflation, we're going to be at that for for this quarter. Now, if we can maintain that next year, even at the six million tonal ton rate, um, you know, at that, you know, that's a that's a ninety million dollar EBITDA at the site level, you know, for 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 for, for next year. So clearly, we've got some some debt to pay off and and some some remaining capital to spend, but. That's sort of well, well, well in excess of that of that requirement. So, you know, from a margin perspective, that's the minimum. I think then the DFA, you know, we're t- the, the capacity we're taking to seven million tons. So, you know, um, over and ab- over and above that, if you ex- if you assume set, let's say a twenty dollar per ton incremental margin on that additional million tons, there's another twenty million dollars for that additional million million tons for for next year, so you know the, the the seven million ton. I have contracts for, or up to the seven million tons. I've got the freight locked in for next year at that uh, at that at that rate. We've got a portion on FOB, so the customers taking some of that risk for some of that that those sales. And for the remainder, we've got the freight locked in at uh, with those cape size those cape size contracts. So I don't think the market really understands the extent to which we de-risk those major. Volatile items. Well, let's explain explain that the market doesn't understand, but that's your job to explain. So, yeah. ex- explain why that the, those things are important and what that does for the business. It's the combination of that of this of scale and locking in some of those those items, right? So, the big things, you know, we, we can sweat like mad to generate one, two, three dollars per ton of extra, you know, cost reduction. But what you know, what really hurt Metro back in twenty twenty one was the lack of sales. So here we have contracts now that, that take us to that scale. Um, the freight rate had gone from ten to thirty dollars per ton, right? So we've now locked in uh, our freight rates at that, you know, round about that ten, eleven dollars per ton for for next year. Um, and and so uh, and we've we, we're, we're hedged out, you know, at, um, at at good at a good exchange rate with with participation in in the upside through to to uh, the second quarter of next year. So again, these big things that can really hurt us uh, have, have been taken out of the equation. So 
then it's all about implementation. And I think what you know the graphs that I put into the into um, the, the last quarterly just show that steady improvement in productivity. And of course, there's a lot of work going in underneath. It's not a completely straight line, but you can see how that how that is uh, has been moving forward. So, like I said, October's been you know the six million ton the six million ton rate, and 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 so that's again we've been trying to be you know doing what we say say we're going to do and that that was has been our target through this year um and you know the the extra elements that are still to be delivered in the expansion now are more about uh resilience further resilience from a you know sort of um you know screening point of view we're putting in a new screen which is uh you know very resilient to all types of all types uh, you know all types of uh, of of moisture and we will will be you know getting the second uh, offshore transshipping vessel, uh, you know, for the start of next next season as as it's currently planned. So those are more about then jumping from the six to seven million ton rate and and creating that 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 resilience at that level. And so you know, having achieved what we've achieved this year, I'm I'm very confident about that coming to pass for next year. Right. Okay. And then talk to me about so briefly, um, because I didn't ask earlier, with with these contracts in, in terms of the, the how, how long how long do they last um you know and why why are they and is it are you 100 contracted out or do you do, do some spot for, ne- for, ne- for next year we're clo- we're contracting between six to six and a half million tons so there's a little bit left for spot okay. for okay. some spots okay. uh, and that's that's good that's good because the the bauxite market is still a relatively traditional sort of you know a two-party negotiated type outcome uh, so as as the market moves, it takes a little bit of time for that to sort of get the price transparency through. So, you know, having a bit of spot volume to sort of uh, put out there, particularly in a market that's tight, is always a useful um, useful thing. So, um, but like I said, we've got plenty of of other uh, refinery owners and uh, vertically integrated uh, aluminium producers sort of banging on our door saying, "Well, can we negotiate that those contracts?" So we're we we under we 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 pretty much took out this year's five and next year's sort of six plus in uh, you know in contracts to be able to underpin the the capital for the expansion so that the lenders could see that we were pretty yeah you know, there was there was again low risk from a from a market point of view we dropped back down in 2025 to more like uh, four million four million tons so we've got about three million tons of additional contracts from 2025 onwards um but again you know we, we we've got we're talking to two or three and we've got a couple of mous already already signed with pers- pr- prospective con- uh off takers um one of those is is building a greenfield refinery so it'll be dependent on their progress and another one of those has an existing refinery that we're you know that we're working with. so so again a combination of sort of you know, new and uh, new and, and existing offtakers that that'll see us through that period. But as I said, for next year, it's uh, it's, it's pretty much done. And when you said, when you said, are you in in control of that in the, in the sense that that that's at your election rather than and your choice in terms of um, how you get that balance right? Because I, I'm always intrigued with these contracts in terms of the time frame and the, and the caps in terms of you know, obviously, pr- if price is yeah. really moving the market, what flexibility do you have at the the you know at the lower end and, and um, obviously yeah that's know, right where, that's a, where it's a great go. question um, 
and, and it's all really about diversity because obviously things can go down as well as up. But you know, at the moment, we're seeing I'm seeing a pretty strong market right the way through next year and into into 25. So I'm not particularly worried worried by that. The we took out about we took out three million tons of additional sales when we announced the the DFS back in the middle of of last year. And as I said, that was really about it, we're only spending roughly thirty two million dollars in Australian in 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 our capex for the expansion. Um, that includes the contingency, uh, and and we're we're pretty much on track with that, uh, and it pays off. With, with the contracts that we put in place, that pays off in under two years. So we'll be paid off before these contracts roll off. But we did take out purposely uh, um, some contracts for next year at some fixed prices. But the rest of our contracts are, um, you know, a combination of negotiated contracts, which which will be bare much, you know, in relation to the the the, the, the sort of the, the prevailing market at the time. And we've got one contract this year, which has got an aluminum price our customers product a linkage in that which has performed you know reasonably well and we could, we'd be considering that again as a as a you know as a, as a as a mechanism for next year so you know i guess having sold commodities for a long time what you want is a, is a nice portfolio of different pricing um it may mean that we lag you know the very short term spikes in price but it does mean it's a robust Portfolio, and after coming through what we've come through in the in the last few years, uh, we felt that that was uh, you know that was a more prudent approach, and especially given the high returns of our of our expansion cap on our expansion capex, um, you know the IRR of that expansion is 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 in the region of eighty percent, and even that's on a relatively conservative price deck. So um, you know the the MPV on that on that conservative price deck is around 400 400 million dollars uh for the 6 million ton case and as i said that probably goes up by 20% if you go to 7 if we can get to 8 million tons which i think we have a shout out as well with the current what well, you know the the, the the capacity we're putting in place that's another 20% uplift again so you're not it doesn't take long to get to 600 million dollars of npv and we're currently trading you know, at about 80, 80 million Australians. So, you know, there's the sort of, you know, as we deliver this, um, this expansion and people can see those margins coming through, as you say, it's all about, it's all about the margin, right? So, but the economy of scale here will deliver, deliver those margins. And I think the expansion elements we put in place will deliver the resilience from a, you know, from a performance and a productivity point of view that, that says, well, look, we we can now withstand a little, you know, more weather interruptions or more rain, or or you know, we can start to expand our season, um, you know, to to a much greater extent, and deliver that uh, de deliver what the customers want. So, you know, it's uh, it's it's been about picking off those high risk items, delivering those, uh, you know, put, putting in place that, that the risk reduction, and then on the back of the scale, delivering the expansion. Pretty much on on schedule. No, I I, I get this. There's, there's a lot of there was a lot of moving parts, and obviously, you know, hedging the downside is really really important. Given off the back of the last three years of what most juniors have been through, is important. Um, but also not kind of capping the upside as well. So, <coughs> I think that <coughs> pardon me. Although that's that, that was quite that's quite an interesting part of this. Just it just also um, in in terms of 
inflation, right? Because we've seen a lot of companies really struggle with when it's comes to delivering either on the capex side or even ongoing opex um, side. You've, you've, you've kind of addressed the fuel component here now. Also, I guess the simplicity of the flow sheet means there's fewer moving parts and I guess fewer moving parts where prices can perhaps get out, out, of, out of control. So does that help you uh, any? Is that something that you've, um, you've again, locked in uh, in terms of the kind of OPEX cost going forward? I guess we'd lock, from a mobile equipment point of view, you know, in terms of the capital, we'd, we'd locked in most of those purchases, you know, sort of beginning of last year. So the prime movers and the trailers, et cetera. Um, we didn't really need many, much more mining equipment. The utilization of our, of our mining gear was, was sufficient to 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 deal with the the seven million ton upside, um, and the tugs and barges for our contractors tugs and barges you know again you know sort of prices sort of locked in a little while ago um, the the floating crane is the floating terminal is going through a a, a refurbishment in uh, China at the moment and you know that looks to be you know broad broadly on track we'll probably use up some of the contingency that we had. In there on that, but uh, again, it's uh, you know it, it, it's the the risk on on a four million dollar refurbishment is is and one reason we took this opportunity to purchase an existing vessel rather than to build a new one. The risk on a you know a, a four million dollar refurbishment versus a you know a fifteen or twenty million dollar uh, new build, you know, is is obviously very 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 different. So again, it speaks to our approach. From a risk management, uh, from a risk management point of view, so that speaks, I think, to the capital. So the operating costs, the fuel. You know, when we were doing our budget beginning of the year, we were looking at, I guess, what most people do. We look at fuel, Singapore futures, and 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 then plot plot that out. I mean, obviously, that hasn't that hasn't come to pass, and that that has uh, impacted us. So so of the, you know, sort of probably three bucks a ton that we're above where where I was hoping to be at this point that you know probably at least half of that if not two-thirds is the fuel component and then I think labor look Australian I guess uh, government labor policy hasn't you know hasn't opened up the, the the markets as quickly as we would like and we you know we are struggling the mining sector is booming in Australia generally and um, you know whether it's you know obviously coal has been phenomenal for the last couple of years and You've got the the new minerals and even you know iron ore is you know people moaning about hundred dollar prices. I remember when iron ore was 30, 30 bucks a ton, right? Uh, so you, you sort of it's still a, a pretty strong pretty strong environment, and the big the, the big three are are continuing to expand. So um, it, it's a it's a hot market for labour. We're lucky to have a local workforce based in that north northern Queensland that that like like working for us. They were small you know we're a small company. We have a relatively uh, uh, sort of friendly shift roster, et cetera. But nevertheless, you know, we are having to compete for labor and we're seeing probably five to seven percent, you know, across the board, you know, impact on labor and, and other materials. And so, you know, whilst the Aussie dollar, you know, Aussie dollar is, is weak, that means, you know, anything we import obviously uh, goes through that, goes through that inflationary environment. So, so look, you know, Overall, with fuel, it's you know in that five to ten percent sort of uh, you know sort of the area, I'd say. Okay, but some uh, I think I'm going to say really good first kind of run through and I get a sense of what your what the business plan has been and what it looks like going forward. 
um, and you know what you're focused on. So look, appreciate your time today. Stay in touch with us. Let us know how you you kind of move through the phases because yeah, I think you're you're kind of at an interesting point and a little inflection point um, for you. So um, yeah, appreciate your time. Thank you. Great. Okay, Matthew. Thanks a lot.